3: I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a market market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people are my friends. I'm just trying to save you some money. My job is not just to teach, to educate. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC. Tweet me at Jim Kramer. Now, I know what you're thinking. Why even consider owning anything, let alone buying anything? I mean, heck, why, why not just sell everything and come back when the meltdown is over? Natural question. If today are only eight stocks, the S&P closed higher, Dow plunging 1,165 points, S&P plummeting 4.04 percent, and the Nasdaq, the site of the blast zone, so once again, nosediving 4.73 percent. These are very big numbers. They're shuddering numbers. But there's only one answer to that. We don't know when the shelling will stop. We don't know when the opportunity begins. Remember, I got in the market when the Dow Jones average was below 1,000 points below. okay, it's now at 31,000 or so. 30,000 points. Do you think I've never seen this kind of sell-off before? I've actually seen dozens of them. They're, you know, they're all a little different because of the interlinkage of ETFs that push good stocks down with the bad. This one has an extreme quality to it, as in, well, what's the matter with that stock? What's the matter with this stock? But and there may be nothing. What I know from experience is that it's very hard to time the bottom. Not many people can get out on the way down and then get back in at a better price. Look, it's not cricket or kosher or whatever to say. I should say, but look. Uh, I was able to accumulate great wealth, right? And I'm not saying this to brag, but the key to it was pretty simple. I never stopped investing. Even when I lived in my car, I never stopped investing, no matter what the action tells me. And the action certainly says you should not be invested. It says you should. But I'm urging you to think like me. I'm urging you to think that because it worked for me, and what was I doing? Reinvesting dividends, giving money to my mutual fund every single year, buying when it's down. It will work for you. Again, I don't like to talk about myself and how well I've done. It's not the way life should be. But on days like today, you need to know at least like why I haven't quit and why I'm still working. It's because it's fun for me. But it's for days like today. Let me tell you how tough it is to do what looks like the easier way. Now, during the Great Recession, I told people here and uh, kind of devastatingly on the Today Show to get out at Dow Jones 14,000, Dow Jones 13,000, even Dow Jones 11,000. The market just kept plunging. These were the best calls of my life. Then I recommended getting back in at Dow 7,000, very close to the bottom, literally 50% below my first big sell call, and it was big. Let's see, out near top, in your bottom? Yet do you know there are still tons of people who are angry at me because I scared them away from stocks in 2008? Of course, not all of them heard me tell you to get back into the bottom. They had years to reposition. But I was despised by a lot of people for my best call to sell so I've always had to think about that. What makes it so difficult to get out and then get back in? Well, let's start by thinking about the proximate cause of the decline, which is inflation. Today, Target reported a huge miss, it it's terrible, because of inflation, and the stock was down, gigantically. Yesterday, Walmart experienced a similar debacle. These are iconic large companies, and they're very well-run, household names, And it really does scare people when their stocks collapse like this. Because they're so important to so many ETFs, the pin action is horrible. They can knock down entire sectors, which is exactly what they did, entire market. Of course, if inflation is the culprit, then if the Fed can wipe out inflation, these stocks should do much better. Which brings me to the task of Jay Powell, our Fed chief, and it's a big one. See, remember, he's declared war on inflation. He's gotten very serious about it. He's not going to stop fighting until it's killed. He has no choice because inflation is everywhere, people. It's in every aisle of every store, every car lot, every factory, every home, every country. Right now, Powell's losing on too many fronts, which means he has to get more aggressive about raising interest rates to cool things down. That's why I didn't want him to tie one hand behind his back with that silly talk about 50 basis points. I'd rather get these rate hikes over with quickly, meaning 75 basis points, 100 basis point increments, several of them, because inflation is so pervasive. And if he would crush it quickly— we can go back and start investing more easily. Pal does have a daunting task, though. First, he does have some wins. It's not all losses. The incredible declines in the stock market are a victory for the Fed because all of this wealth destruction means a lot of people will be more hesitant to spend money. The losses are everywhere except for a handful of sectors. I think almost any company could be vulnerable to a shortfall. I'm very worried, for instance, about stocks we've owned for ages for the travel trust. Like Apple because of the Chinese lockdowns. Amazon because of how poorly the retail business is doing. Hey, Cisco got clubbed tonight because it couldn't get the parts it needed out of China. Too much lockdown would have been a very good quarter, I think. I'm going to ask CEO Chuck Robbins about that tomorrow on Squawk in the Street. But nobody cares right now about what he has to say. They just think that that company is awful. They're panicking. I have a bulletin uh, that we've been working on all evening for club members. Special bulletin about this time. Please check your inbox, okay? That is for CBC Investing Club people only. Now, remember, consumers saving money will help break inflation while more spending just accelerates it. The hideous market would make anyone more cautious about spending. If you're jay pal that's good. We know the consumer's been spending way too much. Less consumer spending makes jay pals job a lot easier. He's spending a lot because the consumer's very flush with cash. But that doesn't matter. He needs consumption to slow. Second, Powell's clearly starting to win at the retail level. For quite some time, retailers have been able to command full price. Starting now, with Target and Walmart, we know there'll be a ton of promotions because there's a glut of all sorts of inventory. Not long ago, we had shortages everywhere. A more promotional retail environment would be a big victory for Pal because these discounts can break the spiral of ever higher prices for the consumer. Hence why Ross Stores, The Usual Suspects, TJX, Burlington, they're going to go up for days, by the way. Ross, and both, they'll go up for days because that's where you dump your inventory. But after that, all right, here we go. house losing all over the place. First, housing is way too strong. It's up 40% over the last two years. That's way too inflationary, even if it's the product of natural causes, We can't build homes fast enough for everyone who wants to take advantage of remote work to leave their city apartments for more spacious houses in the suburbs of the country. We know from Home Depot's excellent quarter that prices for existing homes are still escalating. So even though mortgage rates are now north of 5%, it's not enough to keep people from holding off. I think mortgage rates must go to 7 or 8% before it's just too expensive, and now homes start coming down in price. That will happen. Powell has a lot of wood to chop to get rates that high, but he must do so. This level of housing inflation is simply not acceptable. So we're going to look. 8% I think does it, okay? 8%. Second, cars. After all the talk about semiconductor shortages, we still don't have enough new chips to make the cars we need, especially the cars we need to come into the office a couple of times a week or trucks. Pallets to choke demand for cars. The best way to do that is to raise interest rates, make it more costly for people to get financing. This is a must. We need a glut of cars to solve this intractable problem. Then the semiconductor makers can catch the breath and cheap cars will be plentiful. I'm pegging this one at five to seven is where you have to go. But you know what's going to happen? It's going to end up being that nobody will have the collateral. Third, Powell needs to see layoffs because right now we've got a labor shortage and higher labor costs are a huge contributor to persistent inflation. I know that sounds perverse, but it's the reality of the situation. The more companies that decide they can't afford to hire people here, the less we need to worry about. a wage price spiral, but we need to worry. Fourth, Powell needs something he can't do. He needs the war to end in Ukraine. There's a huge premium on oil and natural gas because of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. I'm not saying oil will collapse. Remember, last time we said it's going to go down and then stabilize. Uh, If Russia pulls out, it it could go down uh, pretty big. But you know what? It would help. The war is also the causing the price of grains to jump because Ukraine is the breadbasket of Europe. Peace might allow food prices to come down to pre-pandemic levels. Unfortunately, there's a lot riding on something that Jay has no control over. Famine has been the number one cause of revolution for as long as governments have ruled. I would still buy the oils in any Weekness. It remains my favorite sector. Check your bulletins. Fifth, he needs the cost of freight to go lower. This can only happen two ways, either with a slowdown in commerce which means rates have to go higher, or by teaching more people how to drive trucks, and that takes a long time. The unions who control the West Coast ports need to allow more workers and more hours, but Powell could be fighting President Biden, who's pro-union on that. That would be a shame. Sixth, he has to wait until airfares get too high for people to travel, because the travel boom is creating too much spending at a time when the Fed needs less spending. Seventh, he needs people to finish spending their savings from the stay-at-home period, so we can go from the great resignation to the great application period. Bottom line, This is a huge schedule of things he must do. I've only listed the most obvious seven. If Powell can slay these seven dragons, then making money in the stock market will come easy again. Until then, though, expect more horrific days like today. No gain without pain. And this time, there's a lot of it. But remember, if you leave and save save some dollars because you don't want to get hit by the next couple of days or even weeks, you may regret not getting back in. I have so many of my friends regret when I started investing 43 years ago and stayed the course when they told me that was foolish. Laura in Texas, Laura. Dreamer, I've
1: been blind 12 years now. Okay. And I see your face.
3: Uh-huh. I hear your voice
1: and you make
3: me smile. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Promise. 2020, Charles River Laboratories, ticker symbol CRL, came on the show and told a compelling story about how they could take all the mouse and rat work of trials and do that for pharmacy companies. They were the only company in that niche, and their stock price increased until September of 2021. Right. It going downhill. It rebounded with news of a merger with an AI company in April. Mm-hmm. And now I've uh, sold at a three percent loss because it seems to be going down. Was <laughs> I right? out. okay. Well, first, Laura, your cadre, and I really appreciate it. And you and our cadre, and we are together in this. All right. Now, here's what's going on with Charles River. Uh, there have not been any IPOs. Uh, to speak of. So there's not a lot of new biotech money coming in. So people feel that therefore Norm Foster will not get the numbers that he would have normally gotten if the IPO market stayed strong. I'm not saying that's wrong. I am saying that that's what's causing the pressure. I love the fact that you called. I think that you are a trooper and uh, all I can tell you is one day that company will come back again because it's great. But the, right now it doesn't have enough clients that are coming public. All right, Now, if Pal can slay these seven dragons, and making money in the stock market will come easy. But we don't know when he will do it. He will do it. But the day it happens, you'll say, why didn't I listen to Kramer? Why didn't Kramer tell me to sell everything? I didn't, okay? That's not what I said. Until then, though, I am saying there could be more terrible days like today may have Money tonight. A company that used to be a great high flyer she's getting cross Wingstop got a new CEO at the helm, still likes the old CEO. Supply chain disruption, inflation impacting the chicken industry, yeah, what? Guess what, chicken wings are down huge. Then is it too late to invest in the emerging lithium stocks? We know that Elon Musk said they're a great place to be. I'll give you my take. And then um, AlterX has fallen from its highs. Is there a place for an unprofitable tech company in your portfolio? I'm not sure, but why don't we check with the top press anyway? Stay okay.
1: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag mad tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cndc.com.
0: Take your business further with a smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express.
1: NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving.
3: When will the pain stop in the stock? of Wingstop. This once beloved beer and chicken wings chain is still, people are still going to it, but the stock has plunged more than 60% from its September highs. And I think it's because people think it's a textbook COVID winner. We know we don't like those anymore. Wingstop built this fabulous online delivery business. A lot of them make fortunes, but now they've annualized those numbers. So they're up against very tough comparisons. It's just a legitimate way to look at things. The CEO left for what I guess are greener pastures a couple of months ago. And I mean that literally because he's now running a a drive through salad chain, and he was on many, many times. Plus, like every other restaurant, Wingstop has been plagued by inflation. But here's the thing. Chicken wing prices peaked months ago. They've been headed down for a while now, making this a real rarity in the industry. If that continues, then maybe some upside surprises are on the menu. Now, yesterday, the company held an Investor Day, and we've we got to find out more about this because we have been negligent uh, in not being able to fill out company during this period. You know, we have them all the time. We want to take a closer look with Michael Skipworth. He's the new president CEO of Wingstop, so you can hear the story directly. Mr. Skipworth, welcome to Mad Money. Good to see you, sir.
2: Good to see you, Jim.
3: Okay, so we first want to just catch up. Uh, this COVID stock thing, to me, is not real. What matters is how's business.
2: Business is good, Jim. And as you mentioned, we're in a really unique position this year where other brands are navigating inflation and going to be going against a, con- a tough you know, consumer backdrop, if you will. And they're going to have to look at pricing in order to manage their margins. And Wingstop is in a very different position in that we s- we're seeing meaningful deflation. In our business, the price of wings last year, as you mentioned, hit 3.22 a pound. And we fast forward to today, and it's a dollar a pound.
3: How's this possible? We've got Ukraine, 30% of the of the world's calories taken off. You know, there's famine in a lot of different places. Uh, Tyson has said that a lot of different foodstuffs are going higher. How
2: is it? How is it possible that this one part of the food chain it has fallen in price? We've seen this in years before where a lot of businesses jump into wings. It drives the demand up. But as we sit here today, their businesses weren't built to manage that volatility in the commodity. And so we've been able to weather that like we have in the past. And they've moved away, taking wings off their menus. And there's a lot of demand for breast meat, and breast meat is where these poultry companies make their profit. And so they're growing as many birds as they can right now, which means a lot of supply for wings out there and good for wing stock.
3: So the thigh thing, we don't have to, we're just, we're wings.
2: We're wings, and in fact, we're actually continuing to advance our supply chain strategy. We have thighs on our menu still, but then we also just launched yesterday a market test around a, a chicken sandwich, a Wingstop chicken sandwich, and it's not just one chicken sandwich, Jim, it's 11. 11 chicken sandwiches in our 11 bold and distinct flavors, which we think are going to be a big hit for the well, business.
3: That's, now, what are the franchisees doing? Because when I use Charlie, we will talk about Charlie in a second, but I had to actually talk to Charlie because I'm in the food restaurant business. The, franchise, the franchises make an awful lot of money. Are they still making a lot of money per unit?
2: Jim, the unit economics for Wingstop right now are the strongest they've ever been. Our sales over the last three years exploded. We're up 30%, and so our average unit volume is $1.6 million today. And then in the initial investment of a wing stop is still around $400,000. And so at today's margins, our brand partners are enjoying a less than two-year payback on that initial investment.
3: But how about getting work? People tell
2: me you can't find labor. It was in a challenging environment in 2021, but it's gotten better here recently. My conversations with brand partners is that they're at about upper 90s, 90% of their targeted roster size. But I think it's the roster size for a Wingstop that differentiates us. But tell them how many people at a tip of one. You can run a Wingstop at $1.6 million with as few as three to four team members. Three, and so okay. it's a much smaller roster to manage, and we're able to navigate this environment differently than other brands that have to have a much larger roster size.
3: All right. Now, what is going on with your advertising? You seem to have switched, a t- subtle switch in where you're uh, getting people.
2: That's right. We, we leaned in this year and changed our advertising approach. One percent that was being spent locally by our brand partners is now being consolidated into our national ad fund starting in the second quarter. And we're able to take those dollars and spend them more efficiently. And so we're showing up in live sports. If you've been watching that's the NBA what
3: Finals. Right, well, that's why I was going to say. That's why I've been seeing you guys.
2: That's right. That's right. And we're so we're driving awareness, which is still a huge opportunity for Wingstop, which is just under 1,800 units today. And we have a ton of runway in front of us. In the U.S., we see an opportunity to grow that to over 4,000. And then outside of outside. the U.S., another 3,000. And so there's a 7,000-unit opportunity plus here for Wingstop. Well, that's so. how
3: we always felt. And that's why I want to mention we were always quite fond of Charlie Morrison. He made our view. Of fortune, I hope he's doing well. He's at a a salad operation, and I like to
2: think that things are. Uh, good between you two? They're great. They're great. I had the privilege of working side by side with Charlie for eight of his ten years at Wingstop. He and I worked together and shaped the strategy, the business, where it is today. And we're still great friends, in addition to him still being a mentor of mine.
3: Well, I'm glad to hear that because uh, we thought he's quite a guy. You know, He came home when the stock was at 25, and then you saw the, the, the rocket ship. But your company, like many companies I'm dealing with right now, it has, the stock has very little to do with the company. That's right. Um, there is a divergence going on right now that the likes of which I've not seen and, uh, probably since not, not before 2007, maybe, maybe 1999, 2000. Uh, because if your wing prices are down, your advertising is good, the, NAV, the volume per place is great. Well, all I can say is this is another stock you have to remember when the great bear is done ruining your portfolio. Michael Skipworth, president and CEO of Wingstop. Great to see you, sir. Thanks for and having thank me. And thank you for coming oh, by. Thanks for having me, Jim. May have money. back here the break.
1: Coming up, Kramer goes mining for an investable theme and just might have struck it big. Find out what it is next
0: Now And support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
3: After another just totally horrific day for the average, when they made you feel like a moron if you took any consolation from yesterday's positive action, and I told you I didn't. Well, I feel compelled to reiterate, there is always a bull market somewhere. It's just that there are far fewer of them, and I don't want to mince words. They're harder and harder to find, but it doesn't mean they don't exist. Over the last few weeks, we've seen a tremendous run in the lithium stocks. We used to talk about lithium all the time because it's the key ingredient in batteries, especially electric vehicle batteries, which is why this whole cohort rocketed higher from mid-2020 through late last year. But along with anything else connected to electric vehicles, the lithium stocks peaked last November before plummeting back to Earth. However, even as the lithium stocks got obliterated, the actual price of lithium kept going higher. After nearly tripping last year, lithium's up another 130 percent through the first four and a half months of 2022. All told, it's up almost 800 percent since the end of 2020. Now, you'd think the whole world's gone insane. Everybody's desperate to get their hands on some mood stabilizers. It's not that kind of lithium. Now that lithium companies have started re- reporting earnings, the sky-high price of the material is finally being reflected in their stock. So tonight, I want to talk a closer, take, take a closer look at this, the, the little part of lithium that I think is OK, uh, even as I acknowledge that we're a little late to the party not that there's any parties going on in this market. The basic story here is very simple. Even if the economy is slowing down, the demand for lithium-ion batteries, especially big batteries used in electric vehicles, it continues to soar. This is a powerful secular growth theme, and I don't think anything can stop it. At the same time, there's been a lot more interest in industrial-scale battery storage, either because businesses want to protect against blackouts or because they have excess renewable power that will go to waste without storage capacity. Unlike rare earth minerals, we've studied that group too, right? It's another key component of electric vehicles. Remember, we had NPU on. There's not actually a shortage of lithium in the the element. As a matter of fact, you can find it all over the place, including here in the United States. It's the process of extraction. Yes, when you extract lithium and you refine lithium, it's incredibly capital intensive. This is not like oil where you can just add some more rigs and quickly increase supply. It can take years for new lithium production to come online. That's why the price of this stuff is going nuts over the last 18 months. There's been a steady rise in demand for lithium, but because of structural issues, it's taking a long time for companies to add new supply. Well, of course, that didn't stop Wall Street from giving up on the lithium stocks late last November, right? They were seen as too connected to the red-hot electric vehicle space. And considering the absolute devastation in most electric vehicle stocks, you could argue the lithium plays got off easy. The global X lithium and battery ETF tumbled from 97 at its peak last November, down to 61 at its lowest last month, losing a little more than a third of its value. Bad, but not Rivian bad. The whole group got a new lease on life, though, when we got a pair of insanely positive quarters from, from Albemarle and Livent. And those are the two major players in this space and the ones I really want to address. The first wake up call came two weeks ago when we heard from Livent. This is the lithium business that was spun off by the old FMC, and that's the Food Machinery Corp, FMC, uh, back in 2018. Unfortunately, they did this right at the last lithium boom was coming to an end. So Livent stock turned out to be a real dud for the first couple of years. But now we've got a new lithium boom and Livent's on fire. When they reported they delivered a monster earnings beat, and more importantly, management raised their full-year forecast dramatically. I don't want to undersell this. LiveIn hiked their revenue guidance by 40% while boosting their EBITDA guidance by 78%. That's why the stock surged 30% the next day. There's always a bull market somewhere. And while it's given up some of those gains thanks to the hideous action of the last couple of weeks, stocks stock's been surprisingly resilient. LiveIn was at $28 two weeks ago. Now it's at $27. Start conscious with the rest of the market, Correct. Now, the day after a live event reported, we heard from Albemarle, which is more of a diversified specialty chemical play with a lot of lithium exposure. 42% of net sales, be exact. This is another one that's been a total roller coaster, and it's fallen out of favor going into the quarter. Then Albemarle delivered a magnificent set of numbers with much higher than expected sales, fueling a 74-cent earnings beat off of a $1.64 basis. That's amazing. More importantly, management ratcheted up their full-year forecast. Before they were looking to earn $5.65 to $6.65, Now they're talking about 925 to 1225. Albemarle's stock then obviously jumped. It went up 9.3% in response to the live in this quarter of the day before, then attacked one on another 9.8% the day after. Since then, the stock's basically flat, which is a very impressive performance, considering how ugly the tape's been. Again, the opportunity. Now, if you want to play the sky-high price of lithium, I say don't overthink it. The easiest thing to do is to buy liven or Albemarle, because we already know they're doing great. And despite these recent moves, the stocks aren't all that expensive based on the new earnings forecast. Then there's a tougher one, SQMs. That's called Sociedad Chemica, even though it's spelled Q-U-I-M-I-C-A, which is a big Chilean materials company with significant lithium exposure. Stock lagged the rest of the lithium place last year because Wall Street's worried about Chile's new socialist president. Some people were hesitant to buy a Latin American natural resource stock. Government supervising might have a conflicting attitude toward capitalism. By the way, in Mexico, for instance, the government took over the lithium mines, said they are owned by the government. Well, that wasn't good if you uh, were thinking about investing in one of those. That said, this is how Dan has been playing catch-up this year. It's up 79% for 2022. i got to wonder how much Sphinx is already baked in. I'm not sure I want to go down there, but that country has been favorable to capitalism for a long time. Now, SQM reported tonight, but the numbers came out too late uh, for the show. They'll come at 6 p.m., so it's definitely worth watching. Uh, there's always people who want to play catch-up and do it with SQM. Now, there's some smaller players out there, although most of them are just getting started. There's Lithium Americas, which will begin operation later this month. Piedmont Lithium has a mine in North Carolina that should have some production this year. And then a company called Standard Lithium is partnered with German Chemical Company on a lithium mining facility in Arkansas. But they're at least a few years away from commercial operations. Of the three, I want you to stay away from standard lithium, which is being bombarded with short-seller attacks, including one from Hindenburg Research, and they do pretty darn good work. Here's the real issue. All the lithium stocks have run at this point, and you have to ask yourself if you've missed the move. Remember, we had a lithium move in 2017 and 2018, but then new capacity came online, and the whole thing imploded. Lithium is everywhere, people. It just takes at least 18 months to get production going, and that's about how long it's been since prices started soaring. We've already got these smaller players getting ready to come online later this year. Plus, if the price stays this high, some of the end users might get into the lithium business, too. You know what? On the last, it was pretty interesting. On the last Tesla conference call, Elon Musk was pretty explicit about the scale of the opportunity, jokingly asking, "Quote: Can more people please get into the lithium business? Do you like minting money? Well, the lithium business is for you." End quote. Of course, once more people get in, the business will get worse. Now, that's that's why the bottom line is I'm only endorsing Albemarle and LiveN for a trade. I like lithium here, and I think these two have more upside because they've been kept down by the bad stock market. But you have to be ready and willing to ring the register on the way up because this boom certainly won't last forever. Let's go to Rick in Arizona, please, Rick. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Rick. Listen, a simple question from a simple investor. OK, FHW, should I stick with it? Um, you know, I was on the uh, Home Depot call. You know, they're PPG, by the way, in Vasco. Mas- but uh, they, are, um, they were very, very positive. And what they're saying, of course, is that when a house gains value, as houses have, people continue to want to invest in uh, cleanup. So I think the answer is yes. I'd like you to stay with, with the paint company, with the best paint company. And that is Sherman Williams. Long term, though. Let's go to Greg in Rhode Island.
1: Greg. Hey, good evening. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. Hey, I'm, uh, I'm still relatively new to investing in stocks. I'm hoping you can help add to sure, my education sure. a little. Uh, oh, I heard too. you talk a lot about Barrick Gold, and so I started buying some, thinking that in this kind of a market, exactly this kind of a market, it would go up and help balance out the list of my portfolio doesn't really seem to be doing that. Can no, me- gold
3: has been very counterintuitive, Greg. I was looking at how gold was trading. It's trading badly, frankly. All I can do is offer the fact that Mark Person, who was just on the other day, um, is doing a terrific job. And th- the issue here is that you've got the 4% yield, you've got the best assets, and you've got the best operator. But gold is an insurance play, not unlike the fact that I still have some eth- Ethereum. I recommend 5% in gold and 5% in uh Let's say crypto. And I'm one of the few people on air willing to say that allocation. It remains my allocation. Let's go to Maurice in Illinois, please. Maurice. Hi, Jim. Big booyah to you from normal, Illinois. Oh, fantastic. Glad you called. How can I help? You always say there's a bull market somewhere.
1: Sure. The metallurgical coal market has been a raging bull up over 200 percent year to date. I'm calling about Alpha Metallurgical Resources ticker AMR. Okay, so this is going to be
3: a trade because you know that coal is going to go away eventually, but coal is in sentence for the moment. People got carried away with coal in 2011, lost everything. We have a we have an energy shortage right right now, so they're doing well. If they did not have an energy shortage, you would be really really in trouble in that stock. So that's one of those where you're 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 putting your hand on a, on an oven. Okay, you don't know if it's hot or not but it is going to get singed at some point in the future. All right, you know I say there's always a bull market summer, even when there are just fewer and fewer of them. I like lithium here, but I'm only endorsing Albemarle and Liven, and that is only for a trade. I do like it more than the coal situation. You got to be ready to ring that register, because it's just a trade. Much more made money Moneyhead, including my exclusive Alteraxe. Uh, And with the tech meltdown continuing, what could AlderX tell us about unprofitable companies trying to make it in this market where digitization is still king? I'm getting the latest from the CEO. And what should we expect from CEOs from Walmart to Target? I'm revealing what I think has to change in the relationship between investors and executives. And of course, all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. After yet another terrifying session, of course, an after session where Cisco gets crushed, it's worth asking, how much lower can the rapidly growing but unprofitable enterprise software stocks go? They've been just horrendous. These are all former market darlings, and they're now probably the most hated of the hated. Even when they report the kind of quarter that Wall Street used to love, nobody seems to care. Case in point, AlterX. That's the data analytics company that used to be one of the hottest stocks out there. Earlier this month, AlderX reported the kind of numbers that would have been adored last year. A nice revenue beat with a smaller-than-expected earnings loss, not to mention a raised full-year forecast. In response, the stocks actually managed to rally 9% the next day. Since then, it's been a nightmare, sinking from 70 to 53 like so many others. Uh, and that just happened the last two weeks. Yesterday, AlderX held an investor day where they tried to change the narrative a bit, but the stock couldn't triumph over the day-to-day negativity. After a small gain yesterday, it plunged lower again today. Well, I'm hesitant to recommend anything here, anything that's not making a lot of money. I do think it's a great way to take the temperature at one of the hardest-hit sectors in the market. So let's check in with Mark Anderson. He's the CEO of AlderX to get a better read on what's happening here. Mr. Anderson, welcome back to Mad Money.
4: Jim, thank you so much for having me again. Right. All right, so Mark, you had this
3: meeting with, with uh, your clients and, uh, and prospective clients. And could you just give me a sense of, uh, are people as concerned— that business is falling off a cliff, so to speak, or is it just a slow patch and you just have to just slog through it?
4: Well, yeah, yeah thanks, for, uh, thanks for the question, Jim. I think you know what we're hearing, we've got our customer conference going on right now in Denver. Yesterday we had an investor day and our investors and analysts are walking around talking to our customers as we speak. I think our customers are realizing that the world needs to change. I think the days of allowing data to swirl around your business uh, without understanding the context and what you can do with that data to make better decisions are over. Uh, the pandemic just accelerated that. What my customers are telling me is that digital functional transformation is number one or number two priority for spending. I think I'd hate to be a, a, half, a nice to have uh, technology solution right now. I think being a have to have is, is gonna be really important in this environment.
3: Now, uh, for you, there is a, a tremendous growth and, and a huge number of contracts that you keep winning. But do you feel the need to prioritize profitability the way you might not have, say, a year ago?
4: Yeah, that's a fair question, Jim. It really is. Uh, yeah, we've always been laser focused on, on managing how we spend our, our money. We're not spraying and praying uh, on, uh, on operating expense investments. We're really thoughtfully deploying you know cap, human capital around the world to take advantage of this massive market opportunity that we have it's a according to IDC, a sixty five billion dollar total addressable market today and it's going to grow to over one hundred and ten in the next two or three years so so we want to carefully uh, make investments we 're doing that and go to market, uh, bringing in the right people that have the right experiences to go and sell high and deliver important business outcomes for our customers and so uh, but we're also you know being very thoughtful about it. As we report, reported last quarter, we beat on the bottom line as well, operating margin beat. And that flowed straight through uh, for the full, uh, full quarter. I think the other thing that we said, Jim, was uh, you know, this year, 2022, would have been break even for Alteryx had we not made the acquisition of Trifacta. Uh, we decided to make the acquisition. It was an important one because it really gives us a replatform in public cloud, which will allow customers to get fingertips on keyboards much more easily uh, when they want to get to Alteryx.
3: Well, speaking of uh, fingertips on keyboards, what we want to do, and you know I like to give examples, a lot of people are interested in Formula One. You you have a fascinating relationship with McLaren, which all my guys root for McLaren. I I don't know the deal why that is, but they all do. And I think that the the way McLaren is using you will explain to a lot of people, how much better and faster yours, uh, your product is. So I'm giving you the floor because Formula One is hot as a pistol.
4: It sure is. And, and boy, McLaren is just such a great partner. Zach Brown and I got a ver- very aligned view on, on the seven different areas that, that McLaren uses Alteryx. Uh, they use them in real-time race analytics. We, we ingest over 1.5 uh, terabytes of data real-time and, and allow them to make you know, kind of when to pit, how much, uh, you know, uh, what what tires degradation needs to be done. But there's also six other areas of their business that they're using Alteryx, whether it's fan engagement, whether it's uh, factory optimization. There's just, uh, you know, it's a very sophisticated business. And all businesses, especially ones like McLaren, you know, need to really be able to make sense of the data that just swirls around their, their business.
3: How about other sports teams using you to be able to, Uh, use sports science as opposed to just intuition.
4: Yeah, well, you know, I'm a sports junkie myself. Uh, I I know your beloved Eagles are important to you, but a year ago we talked about on on an earnings call, I think it was our Q2 earnings call, we talked about dozens of professional sports teams that are using Alteryx, you know, in the Moneyball uh, application to really decide, you know, what draft picks to make, to decide how they're uh, going to, you know, come up with batting orders in Major League Baseball to... Uh, NFL, as, as well as my beloved uh, National Hockey League. So, so I, I think sports, uh, again, is, is one of these perfect use cases where there's just a ton of data. And what Alteryx is able, allows our users to do is pull that data from hundreds of different sources, put it into the format so that you can apply advanced analytics against it, and then we give you hundreds of tools to be able to go make better decisions.
3: All right, uh, one last question. I, it, it's, I never want to talk about being a tough, tough day, like people being laid off. But a friend of mine uh, uses your product. Came into a company that did not use it, and there were a lot of people. It turned out that were I'm going to use a mean word. Please don't get mad. Redundant once they brought you in because there were people who simply were taking weeks. To do what my friend was doing in hours, so it is also a labor-saving technology that you've got.
4: Yeah, it is for sure. I think, uh, but what business leaders like and government leaders that I talk to uh, are saying every day, Jim, is, you know, they want to take the, the manual level analysts that are using manual software like you know Microsoft Excel, and and automate them and allow them to become more like you know citizen data scientists. And right. I think. Once, once you have those kinds of skills, you're very marketable in this world. We had a customer uh, panel at our investor day yesterday. You should have heard some of the comments that the, uh, the customers were talking about. And I'm talking about you know, world-class companies like Stanley Black and & Decker and, and, uh, and J.P. Morgan Chase that you know, users are talking about. If Alteryx was taken away from them, they quit and they go find another job. Wow. And that's the kind of zealotry that you're, we're seeing here at Inspire. You know, we've got thousands of customers in person, we've got thousands of customers online, and uh, the, the sign-up for our training is at record levels. So we're, we're really excited about that. I think the world needs to upskill. I think we yeah. want uh, to help them do that, and, uh, and one of the things that makes it great working at Alteryx is you get to have an impact on, on those hundreds of thousands of people that are using us every day. You have an impact on their lives.
3: Okay. They're, they're well, you know, people have to understand it's a big tech plunge. Everybody knows it. All right. But you got to keep your eye on the prize for when things do get better. Mark Anderson, the CEO of Alterx. Thank you so much for coming on the show, sir.
4: Thank you very much, Jim. Really appreciate very it. Very
3: good. It is a very tough one, okay? And it it's very tough for tech. When it gets better, companies like this bounce back faster. They have money back in. May make a suggestion? I would stay with him.
1: The lightning round is coming up next.
3: (laughs) It is time. It's time (laughs) for the lightning round. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski, Dag, Time for the lightning round. Let's start with Frank in Ohio. Frank. How
1: you doing, Jim? Booyah, booyah, booyah.
3: Oh, there you go. Triple I'm booyah. A, What's up? I'm, I'm, a,
1: yeah, I'm a,
4: small bio, a small cap bio farm kind of guy, and I've been long on Baru for quite a while now, and I've taken some profits, and I just want to know your opinion. Okay, Should we and Dr. Mitch Steinorn a couple
3: times when the stock was dramatically lower. I know that they've got a trial going on that the FDA seems to like. That said, the stock is up a great deal, So, uh, and it's also a very controversial stock. So what I'm going to say is we caught it much lower, um, and at this point, it is just very speculative. Joseph in South Carolina, Joseph. Booyah Jim from Greenville, South Carolina. Look,
4: I'm a massive fan. Excellent. I added more today on weakness, but wanted to get your thoughts on a fresh 52 week high flying stock with a massive dividend. Gold Notion Group Limited, ticker
3: GOGL. Yeah, you now your Cape Size shipping does work, but remember, these stocks go like this and then they go like this. So you cannot be afford to stick around. Even though the yield's good, that's what happens. Nick in Florida. Nick. Hey, Bramer! Yeah. What's, What's up, Nick? Nick? I'm a first-time caller and
4: long-time fan of the show. Thank you. A company I'm calling about purchased the refinery from Shell last month for $75 million. With the acquisition, they're expecting to generate gross profits of $460 million for 2022 and $550 million for 2023. With refining prospects at multi-year highs, it seems like Vertex Energy is at the right. The refiners, state, whether, the it right be, time.
3: whether it be whether uh, it be Valero, whether it be yours, it doesn't matter. The refiners are coining money here. They're making so much money that wouldn't surprise me if the government doesn't ask, "How can you be making so much money?" That stock is going higher, as is Marathon, as is Valero. David in Massachusetts, David. Hey Jim, how are you? It's David I'm good. How are you? Here. What's going on? They're good. My son-in-law is a big fan of the show. Oh, Here's it's a question terrific. for you. With this huge cash balance and for a company size, ongoing COVID concerns, and new positive news about approvals, what do you think about BioNTech? I like BioNTech. I keep thinking that one day President she will say, you know what? I don't want a vaccine from the United States, but I'll take BioNTech. I would stay long. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round
1: is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, with big paychecks, come big expectations. Find out why the captains of the big box universe need to do better next.
3: What do CEOs owe us when we own shares in their companies? Last night, I roundly criticized Doug McMillan, the CEO of Walmart, whom I have profound respect for. I didn't like the way he handled the quarterback. February told us the company would generate mid-single-digit earnings growth this year. Uh, then a couple months later, we found out that it was nowhere near that, causing the stock to have its worst one-day loss since 87, it was down badly again today. I was furious because we owned Walmart for the Chapel Trust. Even though all that money's your mark for charity, I still take the losses personally. Last night, I thought McMillan had no excuse for dropping the ball like this, but today you got a good excuse because Target reported and it was considerably worse than Walmart. Even though CEO Brian Cornell apologized profusely and took ownership of those errors, they were pretty huge. They're, they're huge errors. I care more about earnings per share than me a culpas per share. Target was down 25% today, which makes me hate myself a little less for not having done trust dump all of its Walmart. Again, Cornell had worse numbers than McMillan. I just expected more from the Bentonville Colossus, or my trust wouldn't have owned it to begin with. At issue here is what can we expect from a CEO? At a minimum, I would like a pre-announcement right at the end of the quarter from both companies, given that they knew the numbers would be this bad. Don't wait till earnings season. Give just gives too many insiders a chance to get out ahead of the news, even though it's against the law. Second, I'd like to know how the heck these CEOs didn't see the situation coming at all. We know from the chatter at the airlines that their business was super strong. We knew people were traveling again, making up for lost time. Why did these retail executives stick with the previous stay-at-home game plans? Was it too hard to switch? Is inventory that impossible to get, right? All right, tell us. We know somebody's going to make a lot of money off this. Look at the action and close out Master TGX, a company that missed the quarter but will now buy the excess inventory from all these struggling places, make a nice profit. TGX stock was up 7%. 7%. Target's paying their game. But I talked to several people who believe I was too tough on Walmart's Smithmillan last night, given how so many others failed to live up to expectations, too. When I point out that Home Depot sure figured things out, uh, and had a strong quarter, they say Big Orange is linked to contractors who are still doing a ton of business because they both build new houses and remodel, and in many cases have backlogs dating back to last year. As long as housing is going up in price, homes are up over 40 percent for a two-year period, then Home Depot does well, even if its mortgage rates are rising. That said, when execs like Doug McMillan and Brian Cornell make $25 million and $19 million a year, respectively, I'm not so sure it's wrong to hold their feet to the fire. They're paid so much precisely because it's their job to take the heat when things go wrong, which is why we expect them to see these problems coming ahead of time and take action to avoid them. Plus, Walmart and Target had a huge leg up because they were deemed essential retailers during the early stage of the pandemic, which allowed them to stay open when many small companies went under. So call me crazy. But I think there should be a cost when you steer your business in the wrong direction. My hedge fund had a relatively bad year relative in 1998. So I gave back my salary uh, to the investors because I didn't feel like I deserved anything for underperforming the benchmarks share with the employees, too. I didn't take any money that year. Maybe these men should give their salaries to those who never missed a day during the pandemic. It wasn't a big sacrifice. It was the right thing to do. In the end, what steams me the most is that I know Target and Walmart can do better than this. I can't ask them to morph into Home Depot overnight, but I can shine a light on how wrong they were this quarter and encourage them to make better plans for the next moment when the consumer changes her stripes. I like to say there's always a Walmart somewhere, and I promise to try to find it just for you, right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts
1: now.